give us the message. Paul, um, chapter 1, sorry, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God the Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Margaret, for leading us in our worship and particularly for doing that reading so that we can be focused on the passage that we're going to be speaking about this morning. Right now, we're just going to join together and let's pray together and commit our, the rest of our service to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to be here today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you as our God who, with whom we, that you live and move and have our being, a God who is real to us in many different ways. And Father, we just pray that today that you might minister to the needs of each of us as we share together today, as we look briefly at this, these verses in Colossians. We pray that you might just minister to each of our hearts and lives, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give a little bit of a background, just, to, just a very quick background about what Colossians is about, because it'll help us to understand the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. So how would you introduce yourself to a group of people in a place that you've never been? And uh, Paul, he wrote this, he decided that he was going to write a letter to this church because he uh, had never been there. And we'll see a little in, in a little while where he was when he wrote this letter and the reasons for writing this letter. And, uh, and then we're going to be looking at this uh, first 14 verses of this, this chapter. Many of the... Uh, Bibles that I have looked at, they've got little headings, they say it's the Paul of prayer. Well really, 
it's not really a prayer, it's really Paul's comments about prayer. So we're going to come to that in a little while. And so he, Paul, you know, the, you know, wrote to this church. Let's just talk very quickly about how this church got started. Paul did a number of missionary journeys in Acts chapter 19. It tells us that he was over in Ephesus. Uh, he'd never actually been to, to Colossae, even though it was a, about 100 kilometres away from where he was working. And it was there for two years that they, you know, it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse, verse 10, for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And so there were people that went out while Paul was there in uh, Ephesus and they went out and, they, and he was there for three years altogether and they shared the gospel and a, a group of people came to this town of Colossae and shared uh, the gospel there. He hadn't been there himself but the church was started by a guy called Epaphras and we read about him in chapter 1 and verse 7 and also he's mentioned in chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, this guy Epaphras was the guy who started the church and it, the way this man is described in chapter 4 and verse 12, he's the one who was one of you, he was from that town itself. He was a servant of Jesus Christ and he sends his greetings and that's what Paul includes that in the epistle. And it was, he's described as a person who was always wrestling in prayer for these people. And uh, you get the idea of a wrestler operating. When you're wrestling, you're putting a whole lot of effort because you're opposing an enemy. And it seems as though Epaphras was a man who was a real servant of God and a real prayer. And he was praying for them in the sense that they wouldn't be overcome by things that could stop them from growing in their Christian life. And he's and the, this uh, now Roman Greco wrestler, is he, and uh, we have, still have that in the Olympic Games today. And uh, so he, that's the, the way in which he was described as a person who was wrestling for them so that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And so he and Paul he also says, and I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And they were two towns that were close by where Colossae was on the same river, about 12 miles and, you know, they listed about 20 kilometres away from where they were, uh, these two towns were, and uh, he also was concerned for them. And so this guy, Epaphras, was the guy who started the church. Paul had a, a real deep affection for these people. He really uh, wanted to get the gospel across to these people. He wanted, the, as he wrote his letter, and he, you know, in those days they wrote it on a scroll. If we were going to communicate today, we probably wouldn't use the communications that were around in, in 2,000 years ago. We'd use all sorts of the modern ways of communication. We have all this instant communication today. The back then, the days of Paul, all he could do was write as he was there in Rome. What was he doing? Well, Paul was in prison in Rome. He was there under house arrest, and if you come to the end of the book of Acts, you'll see how he was there because he had appealed to Caesar uh, in the plots that were against him, and he appealed to Caesar, and so he was sent to Rome. And while he was there, he wrote several letters. And uh, while he was there, Timothy was with him, and, in and he mentions this at the, in the beginning of his epistle. He also received a mission, uh, information about Colossae and really felt the need to write to them. Uh, while he was there, he met a, a runaway slave called Onesimus. And, uh, that's the, and there was another book written at the same time to Philemon that was also sent back at the same time with a fellow called Tychicus. And also he had also made contact with Epaphras. And so that's the, the background of how the, Paul was involved in, in, in writing to this church. 
What was the purpose of his letter? Well, I'm going to put it simply. He was concerned for their spiritual welfare. He was concerned about what they believed and how they lived, how they behaved. And I suggest to you the key verse in this epistle is in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness of life, fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. And uh, if you go on in chapter 2 and verse 1, he also expresses this. I, I haven't got that up on my, the slide. But I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those of Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so this is what Paul is trying to get across to these people. He's going, as he writes his letter to them, of course there were some important issues and uh, uh, we, we won't look at, look at those in the first 14 verses, but I'm going to give you a quick summary because Paul, get, you know, and, and you'll see when we finish off why he started the way he did because he had some significant things he wanted to say to them. One of the things that they had was their beliefs were about the Lord Jesus were really, uh, they were really off in those, the ideas that were being put around really were attacking that who the Lord Jesus was. And Paul makes it very clear to them in the beginning of the epistle that in chapter 1 and verse 19, for God was pleased to have all the full, his fullness dwell in him. And one of the things they were also, they were getting off into all sorts of the dangerous areas, they were worshipping angels, and, uh, they, and they, they, that was one of the things he mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 18. Also, they were sort of say, they had this idea about they were being affected by the community in which they lived. The Greek culture was affecting them, and they were having this sort of this, you know, ex, this exceticism, these extremes in, in self-discipline, because they had this idea that matter, human matter, physical matter was evil. That was what the Greek philosophers taught. And, uh, and so they felt that the body wasn't, you know, you had to really sort of bring your body under control. And in chapter 2 and verse 21, it's sort of about talking about seeing things to, to the hand, the food and so on that you eat. You know, you've got to be very particular about, and they had sort of brought some rules in. There was going around this idea about limiting what you eat and what you touch and all that sort of thing. And so he, he attacks that idea in chapter 2 and verse 21. He sees the word, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And in verse 23, he said, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining the sensual indulgences. In other words, he's saying you can have all this physical restraining, but it doesn't really affect what's going on in your heart, what you're really, the really, you're really like. Also, they had this idea of, of secret knowledge, and, uh, and they, 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 in chapter 2, and verse, they disqualify you... Uh, anyone, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes on with great deal of detail for what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. This idea of, of secret knowledge, and some certain people were, had certain knowledge and others didn't have it. There was also a reliance upon human wisdom and tradition. And I think I've just quickly skipped through those. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, but we wouldn't get down to the, the main thing I want to talk about this morning is this, this passage in chapter 1, where Paul starts and he uh, 
he sort of introduces himself with, a, with thanksgiving and comments about prayer in the first 14 verses. You know, he really, wanted, he really appreciated, there were things he appreciated about them. And he commences with this, he starts to, and also appreciates what their relationship of the Lord, in the Lord is all about as well. And so he made a, a, a very, you know, sort of succinct series of positive statements affirming them. He wanted them to, to, to really understand that he really was behind them, he was supporting them, he was affirming them, he wanted them to, to be encouraged in their relationship and in their life of living for the Lord. One of the things is that I found in, in, in a number of years ago when I was working in the counselling area and we're working with a lot of people that were very depressed and discouraged. One of the things that you, if you try and encourage people to look, sort of look at the positives in life, if they're really down and really discouraged and despondent, and if you sort of say, well, look, can you just think of a few things that, few things that are positive that, you, you know, they might be feeling terrible. Are there some positive things you can think about? And so Paul is really doing this. He's focusing on some of the positives in their, their spiritual life. He starts off in the, in, in the verse, few verses, in verses 1 to 8. In Paul and Timothy, thank God for the Colossians and their relationship with God the Father. That's where he starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. You know, he's reminding them that God is the source of grace and peace. And we need to realise that, first and foremost, to think about the greatness and the majesty of God. And then he also reminds them about Christ Jesus. And he's emphasising, and as I understand in the, in the way this is put together, he's emphasising the one who has come from heaven to earth. Because they were all sort of, they, they didn't believe, that one of the things in the, the false teaching that was going around, they, were they, they could, couldn't understand how that one could come from heaven to earth and be a person and be a man. And so he's come, one who has come from heaven to earth. He's also reminding them about their dual citizenship. We hear a lot about that today, don't we? And there's a lot of comments about people being dual citizens and having citizenship in a couple of different countries. I'm sure there are many of us here who have dual citizenships. I have dual citizenship because of the where I was born wasn't here in Australia. I still have citizenship back where I was born in, in the United Kingdom, but I'm also a citizen of this country. So I have citizenship in, in UK, I can go and live in UK, I've got a British pass, I can get a British passport, I have had, have had a British passport, I can go and live there as a, and, and, and not be restricted in my entrance to there. But for us as Christians, we have a dual citizenship. We're citizens of this earth, but also citizens of God's family. We belong to him and he's reminding these people about this. And then he goes on. And he starts to, to talk in terms of the, the positive impact of the gospel that's been there. You know, we thank God. We always thank God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because he, he's reminding them that, he's been, that, he, that they pray for them. Because they've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And so he's talking in terms of how the, the positive impact of the gospel. And Paul and Timothy, the we here is, is that they are affirming this. They're affirming the fact that, and he's a, that, that, he, that the fact that the gospel has been at work and the things that they've heard about them 
and they're affirming them. He's talking about their faith and their love and their hope. You know, he's talking in terms about, in verse 5, here he's talking about their faith that was in Christ and the love that was expressed in their care for other believers and their hope that, was the, that assured them a future with God in heaven. And you'll find these words, faith, hope and love, used in a number of contexts at the beginnings of, of epistles. But here he's right, assuring them that they are secure in their relationship with God the Father. He's assuring them that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus and they are now secure in that. And that he's encouraging them and affirming them in their, their belief and their, their walk with God and their, their love for God and their love for one another and the hope that they've got for the future. And so he comes back to also, he talks in terms about Epaphras, the guy who started the church. He was a faithful minister of God, as I've mentioned already. He was the one who's been wrestling in prayer for them. And he's the one that's now there in Rome. And he's giving feedback to Paul about how the church was planted and how the church is going. And he's sharing with him some of the things, some of his concerns about uh, things that are going on in the church and the way in which they could easily be affected by the, the teachings of the culture around them. And, they could, and the faith, and their, and faith could, was being challenged by the fact that they were adopting the possibility of adopting some of the beliefs of the, the people in their town that was, was being perpetrated. And so he, he, he's, once to, he's really affirming the fact that Epaphras was this great guy who was involved in starting this church. He, and, and Paul is talking in, in terms of how he's in also in fellowship with him. It's not as though there's Epaphras who's separate from him, but we're all in this together. We're all part of the same group. We're all in fellowship with one another. So he's in, in class why he's in, referring to this as well. And so he goes on and he talks about some of the things that he's asking, and he more comments about prayer. He's going to be asking that God will do some things in their lives. And he's, you know, asking, and we go to particularly for verse 9, for this reason, since we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, asking that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's, the idea is saying you'll be filled, and the other you're being filled is that you're going to be made complete, filled to completeness. And that this knowledge is not just a, a head knowledge, it's a knowledge that's going to out, outwork in the fact that it's going to be, you're going to be expressing spiritual, you'll, be no, you'll have spiritual wisdom. And it's not something, and it's in something that is given to you by God the Holy Spirit. And in, as you read through the epistle of, of this epistle, this is the only place where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, where the, the Spirit of God is mentioned. It's implied in other places, but this is the only place where it's actually mentioned in this, in this epistle itself. He's, say, he's saying, God is the one that you're, you can be in connection with. He is the one who can give you guidance. He's the one who's going to give you that, that complete understanding of things so that you'll know how you should be behaving and how you should be living so that you'll, need, you'll know God's will. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks, you know, first verse is about present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And, uh, and it goes on and says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
We as Christians need to know God's will and God's guidance and God's direction. And so he's saying, he's, 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 this is one of the things that Paul and, and Timothy and others are praying for this church, that they would understand this. They would understand their, their connection with God. They would understand that he is the means of, of guiding and directing them. And so he goes on and also he talks in terms about the, how that there's evidence in, amongst them of their the transformed life. And he says in verse 10, We pray in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. He's, he really here is the outcome is a, a life that's worthy of the Lord. Now that's, a, we know in one sense, our life is never going to be totally worthy of God because we're imperfect, sinful people. But he's really saying, you people need to be not just going through the motions and, and just doing things because you feel compelled to do them. Now, some people uh, sometimes do things because they're compelled to do them and their heart's not in it. And sometimes as Christians, we can be going through the motions. We can be doing things. We can be serving God. We can be doing, going through and being involved in things. And we can be very, very busy and very active but our heart may not be in it. And so what the Paul is saying, he's saying, really, there needs to be evidence that you're, you know, there's a transformed life, you're living a transformed life and you're doing it for the right reasons, that you'll be fruitful, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And one translator puts it this way, that it's the, instead of growing in the knowledge of God, growing by the knowledge of God. The more you know about God, the more you understand who he is, the more you've got a greater chance of him being active in your life. And so I like that. I suggest you that's possibly another way of looking at this, this verse or grow, growing by, the, by your knowledge of God. You need to get to know God, not just about him, but you need to get to know him in a personal way. You need to get to know him in experience. And I need to do the same thing. And I'm sure that each of us in this last week have had experiences where we've got to know God just that little bit better because of the experiences that he's been taking and also because of the, our understanding as we spend time in his word, we get to understand certain things about him, certain aspects of who he is. And so we get to know who he is in a greater and a deeper way. And so here he is encouraging these people then letting them know that he's praying for them in this way. And in verse 11, it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. This goes on to the first verse. And, now this, and looking at this, some of the words in this, the, the last few words that I've just read, in some translations, they use different words. And so, you know, the word, sometimes the word patience is used, uh, rather endurance is used for patience and then and patience is translated as long-suffering and, and also and says enjoy. And so those three words that, are, you know, I'm going to make some comments about them, what they, they try and get to the un, what, understand what they're really, what's really saying here. Well, one of the things is that comes through in this verse is that the word for power is the word is a word that's used only to describe God. It's not the, the same word that we, uh, that we that's in Romans chapter 1, we know, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. It's not the same word that's there. It's a different word. 
It's talking about this power that only belongs to God. And so it's talking, he's encouraging them being strengthened with all power. God's power. And don't we need it? Because sometimes we're facing things that we can't understand. Sometimes we're facing things that we're, we're out of our depth. Sometimes we're facing things that is beyond our, our coping. We feel it's beyond our coping. And he's reminding these people that they, are being strength, they can be strengthened by the power that God alone can give. And he's also talking about, and then he got, reminds them about endurance. They need to be, and, and sometimes some translations translate it patience or endurance. Don't we need that sometimes we feel like giving up? We feel like we can't, there are, the struggle, the Christian struggle, the struggle in Christian life sometimes is beyond our strength and we feel as though we just don't have enough strength to cope with particular things. And so he's saying, he's praying that these people would have this, this persistence to keep going, this persistence to complete goals, this persistence to finish the race. And that's what Paul talked about in other places, about finishing the race. The writer of Hebrews talked about running the race and putting away those things, that, those sins that so easily beset us and, and, and running with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And so here he's reminding them of this, they need this persistence to keep going because we all face difficult circumstances. And then, the, and then they're also the patience to keep going or, you know, and the idea here is the idea, to, is idea of long-suffering or to resist when we're provoked. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have, I, often I give in when I'm provoked. I don't always act you know, in, with, with control. That's what God wants us to do. When we're provoked, you know, he's saying this, but when you're provoked, he's the idea of keeping going. There's this patience with, and when we're, it's normally outside of us, it's often with circumstances are easy to understand easy to work with but sometimes some of the people that we work with are sometimes difficult aren't they and some of you may have difficult people that you work with at work or difficult people around you that you might find hard to connect with and so he's encouraging them here that he's there praying that they would have that and then also we sometimes we lose our joy don't we we're not always that joyful in the way that we live our lives and so he's talking, in, and he refers to that in chapter 1 and verse 3 and in chapter 3 and verse 17. And uses, talks about the same, the same words used in those other places in the epistle here. But, but joy, what are the things that rob you and me of our joy in the Lord? And so he's praying that these people would experience joy. And so here he is, he's praying, they're praying for these people in this way. And then in verse 12, he goes on, he letting them know that their father cared for them. That's the heading I put under this. He says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us or you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here he's saying, yes, you have a father who has a work in your situation, work in your life, in praying that you'll come to, you know, understand this, that you'll be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the light, the kingdom of light, for He has risk rescued from the dominion of darkness, 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's talking about our relationship with the Lord through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. We've been converted. We've been tra- taken from light to from out, out of the from light out, you know, from light out of the dark into the light out of the darkness. We've been given an inheritance. We've been rescued from the consequences of sin to be part of God's kingdom. We've been redeemed from the, the slave market of sin, and that's what redemption's about. We've been forgiven, and now we're no longer condemned by the Lord. And so this whole thing of being transferred from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And the word that he uses here is the way that the term that they, that they used when they, a, a conquering army went into a particular country and flattened the country, took away the people that were living there, and moved them to another place and then resettled the country, just like the northern kingdom of Israel was. And that's the term that's being used here. But he's telling these people, you've been transferred into a new kingdom, but geographically you haven't been moved. You've been transferred into the kingdom of of God. You're now children of God. And you're still living in Colossae. You aren't living in another place. But you're living here in this place. And the same for us as Christians today. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son and we're still here living in the same geographical place. But our, as I mentioned earlier, our, we're, we're citizens of another kingdom. We've got dual citizenship. And so he's encouraging these people as he's talking about how he has been praying for these people. And so he wants this congregation to be encouraged as he goes on later and as he addresses those issues of concern, those issues where they were going astray. He wants them to understand their relationship with the Lord and where they stand in Christ. And if we as believers understand who we are and our relationship with the Lord, it will help us to face whatever is ahead of us. It will help us to cope with whatever is going on as we mentioned those terms earlier on, referring to endurance and patience and joy. Because we've been transferred from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of his son and we've got a lot to be encouraged about. So Paul is in conclusion. Paul encouraged the congregation he never visited. He commented about how, how he was praying for them. He affirmed how God was at work there. And then his concerns came later. He wanted them to be encouraged because God knows everything that's going on in that church. And the same as God knows everything that's going on in this church and God knows everything that's going on in your life and my life. And we need to be encouraged, understand our relationship with the Lord and how where we stand in Christ, transferred, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you that you're a great God. Thank you that you're a great God who understands all of the struggles that each of us have in our life. That you're a God who can be there to give us all that we need to cope with whatever comes our way. And we thank you that you're a God who loves us and cares for us and has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of of your Son. We praise you in his name. Amen.